It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the potpourri edition presented by Joseph Chevrolet. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com Digital Sports Commons Center with my man Rick Boring for our weekly look at national topics, local topics, and ghost sex stories and something along those lines. As you can tell, I've lost my voice. It's from uh, eight days of, of coaching basketball and it's not all from yelling. It's a lot of it's from just simple, simple fatigue. You've you've done that circuit before, yeah. right? S- simple fatigue. Whew. And and a little yelling and some yelling. Yeah. Well, there's there. I'm, and I'm candle at both ends doesn't help. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about the yelling and the pops afterwards. Yeah, that's that the you thing. That's the it's a bad it's a recovery. bad com- it's yeah. a bad combination, Rick. Yeah. But what's a good combination is the topics you have put together for today's program. Yeah, we're gonna switch it up a little bit. Typically, we talk local topics first, then we go to national. This time, we're gonna do it a little bit differently. We're gonna go national first because there's a lot to talk about in the national sports scene, and we'll start with. Kevin Durant and the Warriors. Durant returned to the court in the Warriors' 106-105 win over the Raptors Monday night and looked great in the early going as he scored 11 points in 12 minutes and hit all three of his three-point attempts. However, early in the second quarter, disaster struck as Durant went down grimacing and holding his Achilles. An MRI on Tuesday confirmed that he tore his Achilles. Do you put blame on anyone for Durant returning to the court and getting injured? How about this? No. I put blame on nobody. Because there's no way a medical staff is going to clear him if they don't think he's capable of playing. That would be, that would be ethically 1,000% wrong. So I don't believe a medical staff just said, hey, I think you're okay to play. I don't blame Kevin Durant if he felt like he was good enough to play and wanted to get back to play. I don't blame the media that questioned it because it was worth questioning because we weren't getting very many clear answers, right? And that's okay. You don't have to tell us. But at the same time... We can speculate because you don't tell us, right? Especially when you have a giant free agency Correct. coming up in the offseason. I mean, there was a so little friction. Much, yeah, there was so much surrounding that whole situation, and they really just offered no clarity, which they don't have to do, and maybe they shouldn't. You know, the Patriots, the Patriots, way, they would never give you any clarity. But, but on don't point injury. the finger at us when we question it. Right. I don't think anyone forced Kevin Durant back. And if you look at how he played through that first quarter plus, there was no reason to question it. He looked totally ready. Oh he looked gosh. more than he, ready. He, he was. He was. It was almost like I'm getting my 50 tonight, and we're going to win by 15, and we're going to win this series, and y'all can stick the middle finger to all y'all. Yeah, it was. Did, did you feel like? I mean, there were. I guess there was a little bit of thought, and we had even talked about it on here. Sort of made the joke of uh, him being like the. You know, we talked about that meme that was online where he's like the employee using up the sick days before he walks out right. and quits the right, job. Right. There was a lot of that going around. I think most of it was tongue-in-cheek. Do you feel like he vindicated himself in any way or changed the narrative about who he is as a player by coming back and showing that he did want to fight? Maybe that, that, that there, is a, there is a level of toughness there. I mean, maybe he was still playing with some level of pain and discomfort or whatever. Um, again, cleared enough to play, but as a medical staff, you're like, dude, you're cleared enough to play. It's a matter of your pain tolerance at this stage of the game. And maybe it still hurt him. And so he played through it and tried to play through it. And maybe at the end of the day, it was still just a freaky twisting of, of, of the ankle, for lack of a better term, and the Achilles went. So, I, again, I, I know everybody wants to point the blame at somebody always in circumstances like this. I, I just I, I don't find blame with any, not a single solitary person do I find blame with. I no, don't. No, and it's so weird. It's, it's hard to look at it as a total coincidence that he had a lower calf injury, and then he goes out. And you can clearly see it in the video where everyone uh, slowed it yeah, down, zooming. Uh, you can clear, clearly see it like snap right before he takes that it's step. Disgusting. Yeah, and it, so it's it's hard to be like, oh, there was no like that lower calf injury didn't have anything to do right. with him tearing his Achilles. At the same time, 
there's real no there's no logic that we have at this point to suggest that oh yeah he he put himself in farther danger by coming back um, with that injury. So I don't know that he really did any. I mean, the way people will paint the narrative, and I've already seen columns written to this effect, that it, everything we thought about Kevin Durant, he proved was untrue by coming back. I don't even know if that's the case. Yeah, he looked either. completely ready. Correct. He was running around dunking Correct. and doing 360 spins and shooting threes. Doing and his pregame dance steps. Yeah, I mean, he was totally, totally healthy. I don't know that this was really that tough of a decision for him to make. Right. Coming back. No, I think it comes back to medical staff says you're good. You feel right. You're ready to go. You go. It's what you do. It's what you do for a living. It's what you've enjoyed. It's what you want to do. You got a chance to win a championship. Maybe your last one you ever get a chance to play in for all we know. I mean, seriously, you want to be a part of that. Yeah. So. If you're thinking about leaving, that's very much the case. And and that makes a good transition. The next topic up, the subplot aside from the Warrior series with the Raptors is Durant's pending free agency during the upcoming offseason. What impact, if any, do you believe Durant's injury has on his upcoming free agency decision? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question because do teams will tell, I mean, obviously at some point the Achilles is gonna heal. He's gonna be ready to go. He's gonna show that he can he can run and cut and move and jump and dunk and shoot and all the things you need to do as a basketball player. So he's gonna show all that stuff. But does that injury linger over over the decision of of a team saying, Boy, do I wanna give a max deal to a guy that is one more popped hamstring away or popped Achilles rather away from from you know having us sink some really bad cost into a, an injury prone guy. There's nothing to say that Kevin Durant's injury prone, but this injury timing is just horrible. Same time, maybe it. it I don't even know if I want to say it keeps him in Golden State. I, I I don't even know if that's the case. I I don't think it does. Yeah, I don't know that it does. Yeah. Um. It may. It, I think it gives him a better chance. Everyone seemed to think maybe. that he was definitely gone, and that's because I, I still think a team will give him a, obviously a super max deal. No question. I don't a, think there's any concern yeah. that he won't get his money. But I don't know if as many teams will be in the bidding for that. I would agree. And here's here's what you have to ask yourself if you're one of those other teams: Are you playing for next year? Is next That's year the, the window? Is it does it have to be right now? And is that what you were shooting for? And I think a lot of because what's going to happen here is I don't know that the other stars, when people were talking about pairing him with a Kyrie or pairing him with, you know, name your free agent that's out there, an Anthony Davis, someone like that. They're not necessarily going to hitch their wagon to Kevin Durant if he's not going to be available or a hundred percent next season, right? Because they might because then suddenly you're down your one uh, extra star, right? And and they don't want to. I mean, if they're trying to move in and take full advantage of their next contract, right. they're not going to give a year away. So I think this could be really beneficial for even a team like the Knicks. I know the Knicks feel like this ruined everything. I don't know, man. It feels like the Knicks are about to lose out on everything, doesn't it? So it feels that way, but it also, a lot of people think this screwed everything up. I think it could be the opposite because what you could do here, but what if you can still get Kevin Durant and maybe there's a little less competition, so you definitely, you ensure that you get him, and now you can still you can still flop next year and tank again next year and get a high draft pick. The quickest anyone has come back from this injury in the last 10 years in the NBA is 240 days. Yeah, that's, that's So a, that's middle of next season yeah, by the time he's... Yeah, eight months from now is, is what, six? That's February. Yeah. It's all-star break. Yeah. After the all-star break. It's middle of next season by the time he's back, and that doesn't mean he's... Kevin Durant, best player in the NBA, best scorer in the well, NBA. Well, even back. if he is, what happens if at that point you're 19 and 32? It's it's a moot point, <laughs> right. right? So you could still tank if you're someone like the Knicks, get another high draft pick to add with them, and maybe you've got a, a better long-term situation going with that. I could see how it could work out for a team like the Knicks. At the same time, I think this... I don't think. I know. I mean, this definitely has a huge impact on the free agency decision coming up. And I do think there's the possibility that now he just stays in Golden State. Maybe. He can make more money doing that. Right. So... 
it's it's going to be really interesting to watch and you you hate to see it happen in this way but this just added another storyline no to a crazy nba offseason we have coming up all right last topic here on the nba finals monday night's win for the warriors staved off elimination and forced a game six the raptors hold a 3-2 lead and will try to close out their first championship win thursday night when they travel to golden state do you think the Warriors are capable of winning three straight games to overcome the 3-1 deficit they faced without Kevin Durant? Absolutely, because they've proven they can win without Durant as long as there's Clay and, 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 and Steph and Draymond. They've proven that they can still do that, and they proved it on the road, and I have no doubt that they, they go do it at home. Um, that gets it 3-3, and then suddenly... I think there's a little more pressure on Toronto at that point, as goofy as it sounds. That you, 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 if, if, not, if, I don't think that's goofy look, at all. I think if, that's if, legit. If you'd have signed up for a, a Game 7 in your place before the series even started, if I could say, Toronto, I'm going to guarantee you this. You will have 3-3 coming back to your place. Will you take it right now? And I would have guessed they would say, yes, I would take it. But in the circumstance it would have happened in, it's suddenly, who boy, um, you know, we're, we're a franchise that's never won one of these things before. And, um, you know, they know how to win it. And you could see Clay and Steph just going. I mean, you could see them going off, right? You could see, you could almost picture suddenly you look up and it's 41-26 and the Raptors are digging out of a hole that they can't dig out of, even though they're still a very good team. So I, I do. I mean, I, I, I as long as... They've got at least a few more pieces healthy. You know, they had Durant and, and Looney back for a bit, and the fact that you've got still you still got three of the of the main guys healthy and fine. I think they're still a tough out. I mean, again, what what a storyline you have! They famously lost to the Cavaliers. Yep, in a three to one come from behind fashion. Now they get the opportunity to do the same thing, right. and I think a lot of people feel sort of how you feel that it's almost it almost feels inevitable that this is going to go seven games Correct. now, right? And if while it seems almost unfathomable that a team will win three in a row in the NBA Finals, especially while you're watching this series. Well, and, two of them would be on the road. And the and the Raptors look very good. I mean, yeah, they look, yeah. like, they're right there with them. It's There's, funny. It's not like you look back at that game. It wasn't like Toronto played badly to lose. It was a two good teams playing no, it was really good, game. and one team made more big play than the other team made. But just, but just barely. I mean, right. the Raptors could have very easily closed out right there in that game. Correct. It's not like the Warriors were ever in control. I Correct. mean, they really kind of lucked out to win that one. You think you st- you're not going to get Kevin Durant back at this point? You know that it's 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 hard to, it's hard to rationalize all those things together. Yet at the end of the day, if you see a game seven with the Warriors versus the Raptors, you have to feel like the Warriors are going to win that game. It I I, I tend to lean towards the fact I, that I think I, the Warriors will pull it off. I do too. I do too. I, it would be impressive if they do it for sure. Yeah, the U.S. Women's National Team beat up on Thailand 13-0 Tuesday afternoon. To I'm sorry, that's 13 nil nil. Tuesday afternoon to open World Cup play. The 13 goals set a World Cup record for most goals in a single match. Alex Morgan scored five of them to tie a record, and local product Rose Lavelle scored two. Anytime you see a score that that lopsided, you're going to hear questions about sportsmanship, and this was added to by the fact that the U.S. team was still exuberantly celebrating their goals, even as their lead climbed to double digits. My question for you, Skinny, is do you think the U.S. women's national team should have handled its 13-0 win over Thailand differently. I don't know. I mean, I, I did hear the explanation from Alex Morgan. I thought it was interesting. It could be an excuse, but I thought it was interesting. She said, "Listen, as as a player on it on this level of a team, on the U.S. World Cup team, you you've dreamt of scoring a goal your whole life, and it's the celebration of that. Now, maybe for Alex Morgan, after 
Calls three, four, and five, it would feel like old hat, but maybe not. And I didn't think she was trying to make it sound like an excuse. I think it was a real, I think she was speaking really of, hey, this is just the way it was. She also said, you know, I I think Tylen would have wanted us to to continue to play our hardest and at our best. I'm okay with that too. I mean, to me, there, there, there is a level of sportsmanship. I'm a big sportsmanship guy. I really truly am. There's a level of it. And a lot of times it comes from, look, my team is so super stacked on one level where your team isn't, and you know we somehow met up that we had no business meeting up in a rec league, whatever it is, and I'm not going to run. But look, these are this is a World Cup, okay? Yeah. Thailand qualified. They didn't. Somebody just didn't go. Hey, you know, hey, and so hey, go invite Thailand. We need a we need a, we need a thirty second. Bring them in. No, they qualified. Um, I don't know how you, what do you do, 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 do you go into a delay game? You just kick the ball backwards the rest of the day? I, I, don't, I don't know what else you do. do you, were they pressing? I don't know what else you're supposed to do. You absolutely can't do that from a strategy perspective because the first tiebreaker in group play right. is goal differential. Right. So you absolutely have to score as many goals as possible because it's very likely that the U.S., and I believe it's Sweden that's in yeah, it, are both going to have yeah. six points after group play. Right. So they're going to need that tiebreaker. So that strategy-wise, I don't think anyone questions the fact that they kept scoring. However, I think where some people got into it was the celebrating, that they were still, you know, especially when you've got Rapinoe, who's been a veteran. She's been there plenty of times. She's scored in these games before. She scores one late, comes sliding over in front of the team and, and does a little celebration. Do, do I kind of see someone's point that that you don't need with a lot of that stuff. For me, it's just honestly in any sport, put the basket, put the ball in the basket, get back on defense, hit a home run, circle the bases, score a goal, move on to the next, and let's go. <clears throat> but it is very much a part of soccer, right or wrong, whether I like it or not. It, it's very much a part of soccer. If you're not taunting the other team in this case, I, I guess I don't have a problem with it. I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff. I mean, I've gone on the Derek Dietrich tirade of, honestly, if you hit a home run, I don't need you staring it down for 45 seconds. Just get your ass around the bases. It counts for one run whether you stare it down or you don't stare it down. In this case, a goal counts for one goal whether you slide after it or not. Um, but, again, that's it seems like it's a major part of soccer, and I think it's silly, but... I, I don't th- in this case for the, the way they always do it and all the teams do it it's not just like one or two people or one or two teams or one or two countries it feels like everybody has gone over the top with soccer goal celebrations but everybody does it everybody seems to accept it, uh, it I, I've never seen anybody after one of those that somebody then gets decked just because of the celebration uh yeah I, I, I don't think it crossed the line to you not at all I mean if again if you don't as we say all the time with this stuff, if you don't want them celebrating, keep the goal out of the back of your net. How about that one? Quit letting them score 13 times. I mean, have a little bit of pride in your defense. Maybe that. Also, the other thing that really I totally uh, agree with and what Alex Morgan was kind of getting at is like one of those girls who scored the 10th or 11th goal, it was her first goal right, ever right. in the World Cup. That's a big freaking deal, yeah. dude. You have like you may never entire- score one of those again. Probably won't. Right. Chances are. You've got an entire family. I mean, for these for these people, they're they're grade schools, their high schools, their colleges. Their select teams. Everyone's are having watch parties right. back home to watch Not Notre you. Dame had the one here. Right. You kick a goal, you saw the reactions from those parts. It's a big deal in these people's lives, something you will look back on. I don't have any problem with people celebrating, and the teammates still getting hyped up for the other players that are scoring. I mean, I, I can get a little bit why someone would take offense to it, but I think that's their problem and not yours. I, I have no issue with that at all. And um, 
you know, people were trying to make it a sexist thing, like, oh, if this was men's soccer, we wouldn't hear about it. Yes, we would. Yeah, you would. We hear about it in baseball all the time when guys are pimping home runs. We we hear about this all the time. Whenever you get a lopsided yeah, the, score or yeah. result or whatever, I'm just, or people uh, are ever uh, celebrating. Yeah, it feels like the celebrations are a universal part of soccer, where in baseball, it's, it's not everybody does it, and the ones that do seem to get under people's skin, so... That to me is a little bit different. I'm just again, I'm one that just says honestly, your your job was to score the goal. Good, you did your job. Go back and let's play for the next play. That, that's that's my feeling of it. But I I don't have a huge problem with this. All right, another crazy story as yeah. we switch gears here. David Ortiz was shot in the back at near point blank range Sunday night while he was having drinks with friends in the Dominican Republic at a nightclub. He was taken to the hospital where he was operated on and stabilized. Then on Monday, the Red Sox sent a plane for him and brought him back to Boston to receive better care. Police in the Dominican Republic now believe Ortiz was shot by two cops hired by a Dominican Republic drug lord who believed the baseball player was having an affair with his wife. No comment yet from Ortiz on these allegations. What was your reaction when you first heard the story about David Ortiz getting shot in the Dominican Republic? I, I didn't figure it was random. I really didn't. Um, I mean, there's crazy stuff that happens there. I well, mean, especially when you see the video. Well, sometimes there's kidnappings of, of, of soccer players and, and whatnot in, in some of the, the Central American and South American countries for the most part. And of uh, you know baseball players, too, that are from those are always afraid of family members getting kidnapped because they feel like it's you know they're going to the pay targets. The, the targets for it, no doubt about it. So I, I, I thought maybe there was something along those lines. The fact of the way the story came out, it makes me say this. Don't mess with the drug lords, woman, man. Don't do it. They're more powerful. You may have more money. You may have more fame. You may have the country on your side even. But you know what? Don't do it because the lawlessness is insane. Yeah, I mean, we have no way to prove any of it if this is true or not. However, you start adding some things up like we were all wondering what was going on there. That makes an awful lot of sense, especially considering Ortiz is a guy who his family lives in Florida, I believe, or somewhere in the U.S. He lives with them about half the time and then goes to the Dominican and hangs out back there half the time. It wouldn't be entirely when you're this rich and especially Somewhere like the Dominican Republic being your home place where you're just an icon. There. Correct. I mean, just a call, as famous as anyone probably from that area. Your life is different. Like right. We can't relate to these guys' lives and what's going on. So it would not be surprising if he has multiple lovers. It would not be surprising if his wife is Big totally... Poppy. They call him Big Poppy for a reason. Exactly. I love it when they call him Big Poppy. <laughs> Throw your hands in the air if he's a true player. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I... I, I don't mess with the drug lords, man. Don't mess with them. Yeah, that's not the best Leave move. Them alone. That's what happens. There's there. plenty of women out there that would, would like you for being David Ortiz, man. You don't have to have the drug lords, woman. Let it go. Uh, and the other side of the story is kind of the reaction back here in the state. Well, one, the reaction in the Dominican Republic where people around the area just chased the dude down off his bike and beat the hell out of him. Right. Beat right. him up to, yes. and waited for the cops to get there. And the cops Correct. were like, hey, don't kill him. We, you know, we need to talk to him still. Uh, that guy got absolutely annihilated. annihilated. Yeah, that, so that was impressive. But then you come back to the States. I mean, obviously, it's huge news here. In Boston, They the Red Sox fly a plane to go get him Correct. to bring him back to a Boston hospital. He's iconic in Boston. He is. I mean, how many athletes have that type of... He's you know, big poppy for a reason, man. He's affinity big poppy. from their fan. That I just, know. It's crazy. It really was to watch that story play out and just sort of the reaction by everybody. Yeah. No, and, and uh, it, sounds like, it sounds like he's going to be okay, but holy cow. I mean, basically, he just survived a hit, right? Yeah. Yeah, someone put a hit out of him yeah, very correct, literally. Correct. Here's the thing. I think I'd stay back here for now, unless the contract carries over to here. Oh, I think he's done with the Dominican Republic. Yeah. I mean, he had said years ago when he was a player that he was worried about all the violence in Dominican, oh, and he yeah. felt 
concerned when he would go back home and he didn't want to be a guy who had to carry around AK-47s in his car, which understandable, but apparently it would have been a good idea. (laughs) Or maybe too late to to pull it out. Yeah, well, yeah, he wouldn't have had it if it was in his car. Correct. Skinny, June 12, 2019, which is the day we're recording this podcast on, marks 25 years since the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and friend Ronald Goldman outside of O.J. Simpson's condo in Los Angeles. After failing to surrender himself to Los Angeles County Police a few days later on June 17th, Simpson became the object of a police pursuit in a white 1993 Ford Bronco, which ultimately ended in surrender and arrest. Where were you? During the white Ford Bronco chase. Well, let me tell you, I was at the I was at the Cincinnati Post working on the copy desk that night, and um, I remember we had it was about maybe less than a year that we had gotten a TV and cable back in sports. Think about that for a moment. Nineteen ninety four. We just in fact, just I think, now getting. TV I think the reason we got, I think we got it in a couple of different departments. It was right after the Oklahoma City bombing that um, that news kind of broke, and suddenly it was like, well, we need to. You know, TV's starting to do more of this kind of stuff nationally. <laughs> you think? To figure out what's going on. So we were just we had it on, and and they were there was you know still details of it, not really paying a lot of attention to it, and you know doing our doing our work, and all of a sudden it starts, and you know you kind of start peeking up at it, and you're like, is is he really? And initially, it was like, is he really in there? Is this kind of hoaxy? Is this is this really happening? Plus, it was like a slow speed chase, yes, which correct. made it all the more and weird. Then, and then suddenly you're like, this is real, and this is really OJ Simpson, and. Dag on, if this is the steps he's going to, he really did it. I mean, it felt like this was pure proof that he did it and he's going to either off himself or they're going to try to take him to Mexico or wherever, wherever AC was trying to take him to. It was, it was so bizarre to watch it unfold live. Um, you know, going under the underpasses and the people that, that had seen it on, on TV that had obviously come out of the house knowing where the where the chase was going to wind up, cheering him on. It With was signs crazy. And everything. Crazy. That's the one. That's a surreal image when you watch that back on on tape. I was yes. doing it this morning, um, seeing it drive under the underpass and the people jumping up and down with signs. Yes, it's just like what a bizarre. And, world. Then, and then when he pulls into the back into the neighborhood and into his driveway and, and people that and were lining the streets yeah. there, it was it, it was so weird because initially, I mean, I was playing a softball game when the news broke that he was being charged with killing them, and it was all of us were like, "Wait a minute, OJ Simpson did what?" Nah, this is weird. This is too weird. This can't. And then you see it kind of unfold. And then it comes to this point finally on that night. Um, it was it was truly truly bizarre. I, it's funny. I, ESPN did a uh, not funny, but ESPN did a did a thirty for thirty on it of all the different sports things that were happening that day. The NBA finals were going on. Knicks and Rockets. Um, it was Arnold Palmer's last. Uh, I believe U.S. Open that he was participating in as a player as well. So th- there was a lot of things going on, you know, and they kind of try to commingle all of the stories that were going on at the time of, of that day and that particular particular chase. It was it was just so bizarre to watch it unfold, and and that's when the realization was, holy cow, this dude who I I'm old enough to have watched the game live in which he went over 2,000 yards rushing. I lived in New York at the time, and they played the Jets. And it was against the Jets, so I, it was on in our market live. And so I'm old enough to remember that guy going over 2,000 yards and thinking, man, that, that dude is incredible. He is so awesome. And he was such a you know, he was a great TV spokesman, and he just he had kind of an it factor. And now you're looking and going, this is where his life has fallen into as he's being chased in the back of a car and he's going to blow his head off? Wow. That's the thing I wanted to ask you about because I think – Something that gets lost on my generation where, you know, we were little kids basically when that was happening, right. when the chase was going on. And so you remember it, you knew who O.J. Simpson was certainly, but at this point, like 
since the way things have played out with OJ Simpson, the book, the, uh, the Netflix shows, the him getting out and having other weird things going on in Vegas and different stuff like that. He feels like Dennis Rodman. He feels like a punchline to a joke. Correct. He feels like yes. a character. Yes. I mean, we don't take him seriously. We we make punchlines about Correct. him. And and it's been that way for most of our lives. But when this happened, he was still iconic. I mean, so so serious and like a big brand. Yes. Got, like brands wanted to be associated with him, like all that stuff. How weird was that just from having like That's it'd be part. like LeBron or someone, right? Yeah. I mean along those lines. I mean, at the time at that time, arguably one of the two or three greatest running backs ever. Jim Brown was probably at that point in his, you know, for what he had done classified for a lot of people as if as better but still oj um oj you know, was different though because of the marketing right around i mean him, right? he, had, he had the he was his own pride as many people for for the running through the airport in the hertz commercial as yeah. anything else and he did movies yeah and- no did movies was a spokesman for all kinds of different things did monday night football um he was a, he was right he was a brand and all of a sudden you're like wait a minute the brand just whacked two people his wife and and this other guy randomly and because whether you believe he's innocent or guilty, however you want to believe, that's up to you. But at the time, it just when he was in the back of that truck at that time with all the evidence mounting, you're like, damn, he really did do it. And this is how it's going to end for him. He's either going to get arrested with, you know, we're going to t- wherever this guy's going to take him, they're going to finally arrest him and he's going to break down and go, yeah, I did it. Or he is, he's going to shoot himself. It's going to be one of the two things. He's so ridden with guilt that he's going to kill himself. Like, to get to that point, and you remember the guy running through the airport and running for all those yards and being iconic. It was it was insane you know, to watch like, it unfold live. I mentioned Rodman, and that's I think that's a good example because of how we look at him now. But Rodman was always so goofy. Like if something like that would have happened, you would have been like, oh, okay, like right. uh, sort of. We always knew it was going to end weird for that guy, Correct. right? Um, but even a guy like Ray Lewis, who was just a different personality and kind of a crazy dude, when you hear he might have murdered someone, I, it I, wasn't completely shocking. No, like, I, it was one of for him. It was like, oh, oh okay, okay. Yeah. but OJ. Completely right. different ball game. Correct. Completely different Correct. ball game. That's the one thing I think just so bizarre about that. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears and move into some local conversation. Not as much going on this week, but the Reds did make a move as they acquired left-hander Tyler Jay from the Twins for cash considerations Monday. Jay was the sixth overall pick in the MLB draft just four years ago. He went 4-5 with a 4.22 ERA and 38 appearances for AA Chattanooga in 2018 and was 1-1 with a 4.82 ERA and 17 appearances with AA Pensacola this season. Does the Reds' trade for Tyler Jay intrigue you at all? It does for this reason. I, there's a couple things. I have two, two, two axioms. I never believe in the five-tool guy. Don't ever believe in the five-tool guy and never give up on a left-handed pitcher, ever. As much as I've told people I give up on Cody Reed as a left-handed starter, as a starter, I'm, I never gave up on Cody Reed as a pitcher. Um, and I still think Cody Reed could find a niche as a left-hander. Left-handers sometimes develop differently. Go look at Jamie Moyer's baseball card up until he was about 28, 29, 30. He was a uh, pitcher. Then he pitched for another 15 years. <laughs> I was going to say, he had another 20-year pitcher, career. <laughs> right. Um, uh, they're just left-handers, it feels like, at times, just develop differently. I don't know why that is. I don't know how that is. Um, you know, maybe it becomes that they have to become a pitcher instead of a thrower. Maybe for this kid, he's now having to be, learn how to be a pitcher. And as a left-hander, I mean, Oliver Perez, we're doing this on Wednesday. Oliver Perez, who's 59 years old, came in to relieve against the Reds on Tuesday night. He's still a left-handed situational reliever, came up as a starter. His pitch for as many teams as Edwin Jackson, I, I believe, or d- dag on close to it, probably not as many Edwin Jackson's pitch for 14 teams or whatever the hell the number is, but um, Oliver Perez has pitched for a bunch. Because guess what? 
He's still at, Zach Duke is still pitching. Now, I don't think we can argue if Zach Duke's very effective any longer. Right, right. Now, we've kind of seen that firsthand. But a left-handed guy, he's 38 years old. Still, somebody wants to sign him because they believe we need to get a lefty out. You're our guy. Now, I think the hope would be that this guy turns into a eventual, into a starter for that, turns into, but continues along the path of being a, a starter. But if not, all right, if you had a 26-year-old left-handed reliever who over the next couple of years is very affordable for you and he becomes the one-out guy in the bullpen left-handed because he's, he's now proven he can do that, great. And if it costs you just a few bills, okay. I think it's worth I think it's worth kicking the tires on. I really do. Is it a difference maker? No. But is it a move that a team, the market size of the Reds and the payroll size of the Reds should always make? Absolutely. Yeah, and there's been some. He's already been moved to the bullpen at least once in his right. career. He's, yeah. he's, he's got a mid '90s fastball and one other pitch. I think it's a slider. That, and that that seems like a reliever. That's to a me. reliever type right. thing. But there's but he has some other uh, some upside with some of his other pitches. I I look at it from the perspective of any time. This is exactly what we've talked about with the Reds. What we want them to do. Now it's not Scooter Jeanette type guy who's already been up at the majors, shown right. a little something, then kind of been like, eh, maybe he's just but not what, what we thought cost he was. You? A few shekels. Nothing. Exactly. And this is the type of guy you should be looking for. The guy with the upside. He's a lefty. He was once the sixth pick in the entire so draft. Someone saw some upside yes, in correct. him at some point. Correct. Um, yeah, he hasn't figured it out yet, but he's also had some injuries. He's got a little bit of experience in the minor leagues already. If at some point it starts to click for him a little bit and you get, uh, like you at said, worst, just, at the worst case scenario, a situational lefty that doesn't cost you money. Or a long relief guy right? or something. That's a le- I mean, it, it, it does intrigue me a little bit like this guy could turn into a little something. You did it for basically nothing. nothing you had to yeah. give up nothing to get another the, potential arm. Those are the moves that fly under the radar that you look at two or three years two or three years later and go, oh, they got that guy for that. I remember that vaguely. Wow, that was a good pickup. I, I And again, it, it doesn't cost you much. So that it's, it's a win-win. Kick the tires. Have him in your system for a little bit. See if there's the upside. See if you can maybe make a few, maybe a couple of changes in him. And voila, you've you've very affordably gotten another piece to your bullpen moving forward. Now, despite the fact that we just talked about him for three minutes, is he like an impact player right now, or no. someone that's going to be on this team? Of course not. Right. You know, it's it's a years down the road type of deal. But it what it did. I, it, it, no, it, when I, it came I, across, I was like, huh? I was interesting. I always like to look at. I mean, like even Derek Dietrich, right? I don't. I vaguely remember Derek Dietrich with the Marlins. He was never a guy that I'm like, boy, he's a really great player. He's good. But you look back at the pedigree, first round draft pick, got a little pop, can play a lot of positions. Not going to cost you much. Go ahead and kick the tires on him. Look, I, he, we all know that he wasn't going to continue at the pace he was at, and I think he's starting to show that he's starting to regress a little bit. But I, I think we said on the last podcast, if Derek Dietrich season ended now, you'd say. Solid. I, I got my money's worth. Yeah, exactly. Anything else above this is more than more than what I what I bargained for with this guy. He's batting cleanup now. And he's batting cleanup on a horse bleep offense, for goodness sakes, where somebody has to bat cleanup. But you've taken a guy off the streets, basically, and made him a cleanup hitter. And some of it is you look back and you look at his numbers in, in, in Miami. They're okay. They're not great, but they're okay. Former first-round draft pick. Maybe a new scenario, new, new thing. Maybe it starts to click for him. It did for at least the first two months or so and maybe maybe the regression is no nothing more than a couple of week regression and he goes back to swatting home runs again but again those are the kind of moves i think the reds have to continue to make and i think they've done a pretty good job in finding those guys you know david hernandez i was i knew who he was but i never you know he just and you start looking at his numbers like ah, he's been a pretty effective guy didn't cost you much jared hughes and i think that's where you start to see if you're going to build bullpens those are the guys you got you got to go kick the tires on a handful of guys um for not much money and if 
guy A doesn't work out, bring in guy B. Guy B doesn't work out, you got guy C. And you just keep cycling through. And that's why overpaying for relief pitching is probably the dumbest thing you can do in all of baseball because there's always some arm somewhere that can probably fill those roles. By the way, you were talking about the uh, power in the lineup and the horse bleep offense. Yes. Uh, Vado did hit a home run opposite field the other day. He did. Power is coming he, back. He did. It's coming back. And he had a he had a ringing double into the corner there you in go. Tuesday night's game. He Look also out. fanned two more times in which he looked pathetic. But <laughs> other than that, he's, he's doing great. I'm, gl- I'm glad to see his averages in the 250s because now his average is at least in line. The 250 and the 25 mils seem to be a nice little quarter correlation to me that's that's good work yeah that's solid from the reds to the bengals skinny john jerry a free agent offensive lineman who did not play last season after the new york giants released him during the preseason signed with the cincinnati bengals the team announced monday afternoon the bengals released offensive lineman rod taylor to make room for jerry jerry spent his first three seasons in miami where he played for new bengals offensive line coach jim turner and was part of the infamous richie cognito jonathan martin saga what type of impact do you think Jerry has on the Bengals roster this season? And does it bother you at all that the Bengals have doubled down on personnel with ties to the Jonathan Martin situation in Miami? Yeah, I still don't think we all know all that took place with that. Um, I mean, I don't know how culpable Jonathan Martin was in some of that too, right? I just don't. I don't know the answer to that. The Jim Turner hiring was obviously eye-raising. It was eyebrow-raising. And... I thought the Bengals did a good job getting out in front of that because as media members, we asked the day that Jim Turner was hired, can we talk to Zach Taylor? We want to talk to him about the hiring. And I thought Zach got out in front of it. I think Jim Turner also got out in front of it very quickly to explain some things. And so you just say, okay, you're on a short leash. You got no chance for mistakes, but all right, if this guy believes in you and he vouches for your character, um, Hopefully you come through. And to this point, Jim Turner, I think, has been a – I enjoy watching him as a coach. Just from a pure coaching perspective, I enjoy watching him. I don't know what he's like behind closed doors. He may be the worst person ever. I don't know enough about him to this point. Um, yeah, Jerry's an interesting one. I don't know what impact he has other than he adds depth. Um, and, and they still – I think I, Zach said yesterday on, on Tuesday that, look, and I, this is true of all teams, you're always looking to add to your roster. And, and it's one of those – Look, you have 53 guys. You might like 53 guys. In this case, you have 90 because you're at the training camp roster size. If there's somebody out there that makes that, that's better than your 90th, you're going to add that guy. And and so I think that's what Jerry does. And I think it's also the short leash time that look, dude, you you've you've been involved in a pretty ugly incident in the NFL, and you're kind of on notice that nothing else can happen. And he seems like a very personable guy, and um, I think he wants to put it behind him and all of those things. And hopefully he does. So, yeah, from an impact perspective, I don't think it's huge other than depth, and it doesn't bother me other than the fact that it, the first time that, that something happens, obviously Jim Turner's probably going to bat for Jerry, right? Uh, yeah, would, and, you would think, yeah. And, and Zach Taylor's going to bat for Jim Turner. So um, they each went to bat for who they believe in and who they know better than you know him, I know him, anybody else knows him. Um, but at the same time, you've put yourself on that ledge of if somehow – there's an incident that John Jerry's involved in that locker room of bullying or any of those, you know, whatever else took, took place with Jonathan Martin. You're going to question why, why would you even have done this? And the same for Jim Turner. So both of them are on a very short leash. Yeah. And the thing with Jerry that more stands out to me is he was on, he played for a crappy Giants offensive line, yep. the last team he played for. And then he got cut from them in preseason and nobody, and nobody wanted him after that. So it's like, I don't know how much value he well, has. Well, but I think some of that is, I think teams look and go, he's not good enough for me 
to bring him in with the baggage. And I think for the Bengals, it's a guy who knows him who says, I do think he's worth bringing in despite the baggage. I think that's right. And I think there is value in bringing one veteran in um, who has at least played in the league before, has started games in the league. Yeah, he may not make the team. But the other thing is, and to that point of him maybe not even making the team, it's probably valuable for Jim Turner to have a guy who knows how he likes to do things just in practice leading up, you know, going through training camp and all that, just to get guys in line for drills right and stuff like that i mean he's like this is how turner likes to do things he likes to keep it hopping or or maybe it's not that maybe he likes to do a lot of instruction whatever it is he may be able to share well, some of that and especially for a couple of young guys a guy like a michael jordan who i've watched mess up a drill and just get just blistered by jim turner and and then when he's done well in the drill i've seen jim turner you know kind of almost pat him on the back with his words of, of things and maybe for J- jonah williams and him and those young guys I mean billy price who's only in his second year um maybe a jerry's a guy that can say listen this guy may be up your butt, but he's going to make you a better player. He made me a better player. Uh, you've got you know those words. A guy that's actually been with Jim Turner, um, but yeah, I don't. I think the impact is very marginal from a playing perspective. As they open up these first uh, with mandatory practices, I guess it is. Yes, going on right yeah, the three now. Three mandatory. Yeah, I'm th- I actually had a buddy of mine who said, "What's the difference between OTAs and mandatory?" Well, the OTAs are voluntary. Now you. If you should show up, you probably should show up. And unless you're like a real superstar caliber and you want to be an ass and not be a great teammate and some of it too is business decision. If you're a free agent pending, I mean, I think people were, were honestly surprised. I, I guess I wasn't overly surprised, but I think there was some surprise that Tyler Boyd, who's in a contract year showed up and went through everything. I mean, you yeah. can show up and not go through everything. You can go, you can say, eh, I got soreness. I'm just going to watch on the side. And he didn't. I mean, he took part in stuff and look, it's a busy cause you go down in that stuff. You, Nothing. I mean, Jonah Williams is hurt through the OTA that we still don't know really That's exactly what, what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. They say he's banged up, so he's not practicing in these three right. practices. Anything to read into there, or do we just not know at this we don't, point? We don't know because it was it, in the OTAs, we only get one day of availability, and it didn't happen on a day we saw. So the other two days they practice, who knows? It could be twisted ankle, could be a wrenched knee, could be um, just hurt something enough to where, listen, we're just going to sit you out for this, and we've got another six weeks till training camp. Just make sure we get ourselves completely healthy. You did enough in OTAs. You went through all this stuff. Just get, take some. He's, he's on the field, so just take some mental reps, watch what's going on, see what we're doing from an install perspective, those kind of things. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The OTAs are voluntary. The man, the minicamp is mandatory, which means you don't show up. The team can find you for that. So there, there's the difference between the two. And, yeah, I, I, it, the, they've, they've, they seem like they're going at a very fast pace, and they're trying to get a lot of stuff in. I think the thing is they're trying to get as much in as possible, give the guys the chance to, to leave for whatever time, whatever that time frame is, five or six weeks. July 26th is when camp opens. And, and then take mental reps in those weeks to learn the offense, learn the defense and those things. So I think you're seeing them get thrown a bunch of stuff, and you'll see it even more for the next couple of days. Yeah, I guess with Jonah, the thing about it is this time of year, it could be a thigh bruise correct. or a torn ACL. I mean, they, they would sit them out equally yes, the same correct, way, right? Correct. And I, I don't I don't think I'd be too alarmed at this point. If we see him on the first day of training camp, still with some kind of issue, you will know that whatever took place back then, it's gonna it'll come out in the next day or so what it is officially. Um, but I, I wouldn't be alarmed quite yet. All right. All right, with that, we will wrap things up. We'll be back next week with more national topics, local topics, and hopefully Rick can find a ghost story or two to talk about and much, much more. It's the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet.